Open our Bibles to John chapter 4. We are looking at this uh, wonderful gospel of John. John is writing um, his experience. He's, he's writing what he's experienced with Jesus, some of the things that he saw. And he wants those that read that they would um, see these signs that Jesus did. And that in believing that they might believe, and that in believing, they might experience, we might experience eternal life. Life, as it was designed by God to be. And we saw that um, in chapter one, it says, um, we have received grace upon grace. He came full of grace and truth. He is the he was with the creator. He was uh, the creator and he became flesh. He dwelt with man. And we saw that he turned the water to wine. We saw him with Nicodemus. We saw him cleanse the temple. And then all of a sudden it says that Jesus has to go up to Galilee. And he said, but he must. He had to go through Samaria. And we looked at last week that there's two other ways, at least, that he could have gone. And he chose to go through Samaria because he was ready to meet with this lady, with this woman, the woman at the well. And when he meets with her, he breaks down the prejudices. He surprises her day. I mean, I mean just think of the routine of our life, you know, the... the the day in, day out, the same thing. And, the, and even in, in, in marriage, the, the one in, one out, one in, one out. I mean, just the, the toil of our life. And then one day, Jesus changes everything. Just surprises her. He meets her alone. We saw that he, uh, he met her there at the well by herself. And he was concerned for her. He was concerned not only for the sin that she had experienced, uh, both from herself and, and most likely also from the people around her. Also dealt with her misplaced expectations, uh, just showed her a thirst within her. And we saw his wonderfulness that although Jesus is tired and weary, Really, he wants to, he's concerned for her. He wants to reach her. And we saw how wisely Jesus dealt with her. And he's able to break down just the barriers, just little by little, the smoke screens. You worship on this mountain. We worship on that mountain. You Jews have nothing to do with, with Samaritans. And all these things that she keeps bringing up, he wisely navigates at the end of the day to get to her heart, at the end of the day to reach this lady. And Jesus reveals himself to her. And Jesus reveals to her how to worship God. Now, it's interesting. You know, I, again, whenever we, we look at the scriptures, we, we, if, if you ever read a passage of scripture and you see something being repeated over and over again, pay attention because something's being said there. The Bible doesn't repeat words in vain. He's trying to say something. 
And here we see, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you see the repetition? Worship, worshiper, worship, worshiper. How do we worship God? What does he desire from us? Does he want us to travel to some special place? Does he want us to dip in some river? Does he want us to just really feel the guilt in our life? And as we feel guilty and even more guilty, we just feel like we're really giving him what he wants. Does he want us in isolation? Like the monks of the past, just going to some monastery and, and, and make a vow of silence for the rest of our life? Does he want us to flog ourselves and just beat ourselves and the most miserable we are, the most glorified he is? I mean, here we live. We live in a, we have been created. We live in an amazing creation. Everything perfectly designed. Our bodies. I mean, it's incredible how beautifully they function. And we notice that when something goes wrong, we realize how beautifully they function. <laughs> At one point, they, they thought we have a gland right here called the pituitary gland. And everybody thought, oh, that's just kind of pointless. And then they realize, my goodness, that keeps all the hormones in balance in our body. But then the earth, where it's placed in our solar system, that, that, and the speed that is spinning around the sun or the, spin, the, the speed in which it's spinning in, in its axis, the tilt, the distance from the sun, the way we're traveling through the galaxy, everything fearfully and wonderfully made. Even think about the things that we enjoy, the fact that we have taste buds and we enjoy foods and God has provided. We don't create food. It's, it's, it's been given to us. Blessed by God with every good thing to enjoy. Of course, we go through difficult times, things hard to handle, but everything wonderfully made. But who is God? Who has given us this? And what does he want from us? And it's interesting because if you compare this story in, in, um, in John chapter 4, and you compare it to 2 Kings 17, and you can do your own homework with it. But 2 Kings, 2 Kings 17 tells you the story of how the Samaritans came to be. And the way the Samaritans came to be is the Jewish people had ceased to worship the living God and began to just worship 
the things, things, uh, idols. God removed them through the king of Assyria, and the, the king of Assyria actually put a different people there from the, from the other nations. And it says this, it says this, it says, oh, and they were devoured, they were devoured by lions that God sent their way. And then the king of Assyria was told, listen, these people don't know how to worship the God of the land. And he said, okay, send a priest. Send a priest from the land to teach the people how to worship the God of the land. And many times we find ourselves in turmoil and, and, and it's sort of like uh, being devoured by lions, metaphorically speaking. We find ourselves in those situations because we have not come to a place where we know how to worship God. And here, Jesus, I'm, I'm convinced that as Jesus explained this story to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he, and he explained everything concerning himself, I am convinced that he looked at 2 Kings 17. It says, I am the priest that brings the knowledge of how to worship. Here he is teaching this lady, devoured through the circumstances, through the ignorance. Here he is explaining to her what God desires from us. We can't really please somebody if we don't really get to know that person. And here in John we see that God is seeking a particular kind of worship. It says the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and they will worship in truth. And the time is now. He says the hour is coming and has now come. It says that the father seeks. He's actually looking. And he says that those who worship must worship in a particular way. It's not an option. It's a must. Must worship in a particular way. And what's the way? In spirit and in truth. As we read this story, when, when he says in spirit, you just kind of realize that there is a, a physical world. He talk, they're talking about, remember, he's thirsty for physical water. And the disciples bring him physical food. But he actually draws a parallel between this water and this food that is not physical, but it is spiritual. So he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. They bring him food. And he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. So you have physical food, and then you have a food for the soul.
Jesus in verse 33 says, Now I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. We read Psalm 63 today. And it says, um, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. I thirst for you. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And you see that there is a spiritual thing that happens to human beings when they meet with the Lord. There's a thirst. Well, actually, to every human being. There's a, I believe every human being has a hunger and a thirst in their soul. And they're groping in the dark with how to satisfy that. And nothing does it but Jesus. And so when you read the Bible and you see, my goodness, it says, Paul says, and, and we were dead in our sins and trespasses, because of, but because of his great mercy, he raised us again. And on the, on the, um, you read Acts 2, and it says, you know, well, if you read Exodus, you see that at the day the law was given, 3,000 people died. And then Peter gets up to preach the first message, and 3,000 people receive life. And you see, there's a spiritual thing going on here. There's a spiritual there's a spiritual thirst in our souls that, that Jesus quenches. And there's a spiritual hunger in our souls that doing what Jesus says, that doing what God is asking them to do quenches. But notice it also says that it is to be spiritual but notice, they must worship in spirit and they must worship in truth. And it's interesting because we live in an environment right now that everybody wants to be spiritual. And it sounds very cool to say, yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm a very spiritual person. But notice that spiritual and truth go together. So to be spiritual, the, the, the worshipers that God is seeking are those that will worship in the spirit. They will, be, they, they, they will not just be concerned about their body or, or their appetites. They, they will be concerned about the, 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 the appetites of our souls, the thirst and the hunger inside of us, not physically. And it will be truth. They will nourish that. You see, the Samaritans and, and Jesus had their differences. And the Jews had their differences. They had very strong views, where to worship, etc. And Jesus says to them, but those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. 
And Jesus says, it's not there, and it's not there. This is the way it's going to be done. And I say this because we might say, oh, well, I'm very spiritual. And I just think that, uh, for example, I'll, g- I'll give you one practical example that's always uh, flabbergasted me. When, when um, there, was a, there was a priest here on the island, and um, he was really seeking to reach out and be friends. Uh, be- be friends, and which I was with. I mean, he used to meet here in the church as well. But at one point, he um, he took me aside and he said, "You know what? At, at the end of the day, re, um, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism are three revelations of the same God." Sounds very spiritual. And he says, "And our difference. I mean, our common ground is so big that our differences just get swallowed up like a drop in the middle of the sea." Sounds very spiritual. But if we are truly spiritual, we will be concerned about truth. You see, to the Jew, Jesus is not the Messiah. And that's a nice way of putting it. To Islam... And we love all people. I want to I make sure we, we love all people. But I'm just trying to see. To Islam, the Quran says, the Quran says this. Jesus is born of a virgin. He did great miracles. But he didn't die on the cross. It was Judas that died on the cross. The Bible Not only the Old Testament testifies of his death and resurrection, but you have the four Gospels that testify of those that were there. Those that were there says, we saw this. We experienced this. They can't all be true. I mean, it's just logical. They cannot all be true. Either Jesus is the Messiah or not. Either Jesus died on the cross or not. But they cannot both be true. So if we say that we are spiritual and then we just sort of said, but it's all, it all goes, that we're not really worshiping in the way that God says we must worship. And that is in spirit and in truth. And that means that like David said, we desire truth in our inmost being. And we have to be people that long for truth. In Timothy, it says that people will turn away from the truth, following teachers that will say what their itching ears want to hear. Truth. I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. That means that everything that contradicts him by default is false. And so we have this spiritual um, worshiping God in the spirit, that this spiritual need, and obviously he gives us also his Holy Spirit to worship him. But truth is needed to grow in the knowledge of God. You see, as we grab the truth of the Bible, it nourishes us. 
It makes us strong. It's, it fills us with the goodness of God. Jesus said, and in and, and, and Deuteronomy it says, in Deuteronomy 8 it says, for, for you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So therefore, um, those who worship must worship in the spirit, that, 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 that water, that thirst, that hunger. And in truth, that means we desire truth and we allow the word of God to fill us, nourish us, guide us in truth. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Read it. Not right now. <laughs> I mean, Rosa is so ready. She's like already, already going through it. But, but, but David, David is just like, your word is a lamp unto, oh, I don't know if he says it there actually, but your, your, your word is perfect. And everything has to do with the statutes of the Lord, with the word of God. Everything. And as we read the Bible, as we read, for example, Psalm 63 that we read this morning, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, it's amazing the nourishment that it has been to me. Your love is better than life. Your love is better than life. I mean, you can, you can feed on a verse like that for all your life. And how, and, and how are we to worship? I, I was shocked today that we sang more love, more power. Because that's an oldie. And as soon as I, it started, I was like, my goodness, that's old. Not as old as when I surveyed the, uh, no, which one? The, when Peace Like a River. I mean, that's even older, but, but which is great. I love hymns. But, um. But when we, read, when we began to sing more love, more power, and then it goes, and I will worship you with all my heart, and I will worship you with all my soul, and I will worship you with all of my mind and all of my strength. I mean, I have it right here. Worship, loving with our, with our whole being, with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. How are we to worship? You know, you know, it's funny how people get categories. There's those people that worship Jesus and they really emphasize the mind. I've got to worship God with my mind and it's all intellectual. And you get around these guys, some of them, I feel like there's a little bit autism. You know, everything's got to be a formula. Everything's got to be perfectly, boom. Others are with the heart, you know, and it's just all emotion. Others is just with the strength, just completely given to, given the energy to God. Others are with the soul, with the personality, you know, and, and everything's just like, I'm just going to worship God with my personality. I'm going to be who I am. Which one is it? It's with all of it. The Lord doesn't take a part of us. He takes all of us. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I'm going to tell you something that might shock you, but worship is not worshiping by singing. 
Worship is not worshiping by singing. Singing is an outflow of worship, but singing is not worship. Let me read to you Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. The Apostle Paul is saying, my good. I mean, he just wrote Romans 1 through 11. And he, in, in, in chapter 11, he says, oh, my goodness, the death and the unfathomableness of God's mercy. It's just so profound. It's just so amazing. It's just so incredible. And he's been talking about God's grace. He, the first three chapters is Jew, Gentile, everybody's guilty before God. No one deserves anything from God. Verses 4, 5, I mean chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, it's, it's about how God so loved that he reached out and provided grace upon grace for man. And as he gets to chapter 11 and he's just overwhelmed with the mercies of God and we, we know we all know chapter 8 where it says neither life nor death nor principalities nor power nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus as he gets to chapter 12 he says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy it's so big it's so profound it's so amazing and in view of God's mercy I plead with you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So when we talk about worship, it's not in connection with songs. It's connection. It's connected to your body, to your being, both body, I mean heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't that interesting? Connect that with when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of my Father. That's how I worship. It's a transformation. And when you see do not be conformed, but be transformed. That is in the, um, I had to ask Loretta this. She's my little Greek encyclopedia. But it's in the middle passive. That means that is not something that you do yourself without God. That it is not something that God does for you without God. It is something that we actually allow God to do in us. And that being transformed, the mind being transformed, it's the Greek word metamorphosis. And listen to this. Metamorphosis is a beautiful illustration of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. When a caterpillar changes into a pupa, all of its organ systems dissolve into a literal soup of fragmented cells and tissues. Did you get that? All of its organs of the caterpillar system, all the organ systems dissolve into a literal soup of fragmented cells and tissues, which later, later reassembles 
in the cocoon to become an entirely and entirely different organism. It emerges a butterfly. Isn't that incredible? I mean, to think of that word, and, and you think of our minds. That is what God wants to do with our minds. To transform them, dissolve them, and reconnect them. Get this. Into people that know God clearly. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Changed. You, God, are my rock. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water because your love is better than life. That's a mind that's been transformed. He doesn't see God as against them. He doesn't see God as moody. He sees, he sees God in his character. As we have our minds changed, transformed, we see the attributes of God. You know, when you, when you do theology, there's, um, there's different kinds of attributes. There are incommunicable attributes of God. That is, that is attributes, characteristics of God that he cannot give us. But then there's communicable uh, attributes of God. Those are, those are characteristics that he has given us and he gives us even more. And as we read the word of God and as we allow ourselves to be transformed uh, in the renewing of our mind, we begin to uh, realize God's power, God's omnipresence, God's omniscient. That means he knows everything. We get to know his glory we get to know his eternity. He's been. He always has been. We see his everlastingness. We see his majesty. And then the communicable. We, 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 we grow in our relationship with God in spirit and in truth. And we realize, my goodness, God is righteous. God is just. God is good. God is love. God is merciful. He is He's compassionate. He is tender. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He is faithful. He is forgiving. He is generous. Do you understand? I mean, it's just like the, the, the words of Corey Tamboom come to mind that she says, I'm afraid that we Christians, when we go to be to when we go to heaven to be with God, we'll realize that we live as beggars when we're actually king's children. We have a feast. We have a nourishment. We have living water available to us. We have a feast to nourish our souls. And I can't read all this without thinking of the woman at the well, obviously, because that's where we're at. 
But can you imagine that day she realized there was a water that she had never known about before. And she realized that the fountain of that water was Jesus. If you knew who it is that asks you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. That day, she realized, look, a man that told me everything about me. And I really believe that the, the, the meaning, that the, a little bit of what's meant there as well is like he knew everything about me, maybe and still spoke to me and still cared for me and still loved me. That day, she realized a love that no man on earth could have ever given her. I wonder how she felt when maybe a, a year or two later she realized that Jesus died at the ripe age of 33. I wonder if in the town they heard, did you, did you hear? They killed Jesus. What? But he came to meet with me. He came to bring me he said he would give me living water. Can you imagine when the news comes? It's like, I mean, just, just that one hour with Jesus. And all of a sudden, I mean, the fondness, the love, the, the majesty of it all. I wonder what happened when Jesus rose. And she heard of the resurrection. I wonder what happened when she experienced being made alive. I wonder what it was like for her on the day of Pentecost. Because the Spirit was given locally to the believers there, the 120, they were in Jerusalem. But please... I mean, I believe, this is the fountain, I mean, this, I believe that those that believed in the Lord Jesus received the Holy Spirit. And I wonder what it was like. I've always wondered about her and, and the man that was in the cemetery, demon-possessed, when all of a sudden, love, it says, it says in Romans, and the love of God has been shed in our hearts by the Spirit of God. I wonder what, what she, when purity when kindness, when, when transformation, I wonder, I mean, just, I don't know, I just wonder. <laughs> Torrents of living water flowing from within her. I wonder if she said, my goodness, I don't care about a husband ever again. I don't care about the... I mean, she still have to go get water. But I, I wonder if all of a sudden, those who worship God in spirit and truth, I wonder if all of a sudden, those secondary things, marriage and, and water and food, became just that, secondary. <laughs> and what really mattered was <laughs> testing and knowing what that perfect will of God is. 
be nourished by, by, by just pleasing him and being, being, being um, satisfied with, with, with water just by knowing him, by his presence with us. Worship is more than just singing songs. You can sing songs and not be worshiping. Worship, and I, and I feel very strongly about this, because Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We don't just sing songs. We grow in the knowledge of God. We can't love someone we don't know. Do you know, the beauty of Christianity is that we are growing. Whom, having not seen, you love. There's, a, there, there's spiritual eyes, there are spiritual ears that as we get into the word of God, our hearts are overwhelmed with Jesus. And no matter what's going on in life, that becomes secondary. And it manifests itself, that the worship manifests itself as, as you're, as, you know, as we, as I change Arden's nappies. Well, not now, thank God. But as we, as we have conversations with people, as we fly on airplanes, as wh whatever it is that we're doing, that's worship. And sometimes that worship, that, that, over, that, that fountain within us, sometimes it manifests itself in songs. But the worship is much deeper than that. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Should we pray? Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for this story, Lord. I mean, that you desire... That you explain to this woman, Lord, that the, the, the worship in you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will, we will have our souls, Lord, our, 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 our minds, our, our hearts our soul, our strength to be devoted to you, to be fed by you, to be nourished, to be hydrated. And I do pray, Lord, that all of us here today would realize, and, and, and I'm sure we do, that how amazing it is to know you deeply. The more we know you, Lord, the more overwhelmed we are by you, the mercy, the kindness, the generosity. And I pray that you would make, I mean, when we read Peter, when we read Ephesians, and we see this, these explosions, these geysers of worship as they realize your goodness, I pray that you would do that with me, would you would do that with us. That we will never grow bored, but that we will grow from grace to grace. 
And I pray, Father, that as important as things in this world are, that they will become secondary. They will be well aware that just a little bit more of earth will never satisfy with just a, like, like just a little bit of you will. And thank you for surprising us. Thank you for taking us alone. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for so personally explaining to us. And I pray, Father, for more of this spring of living water springing from within us. Like we sing so often, from the inside out, Lord, from the inside out. Maybe somebody here is weary, weary of relationships, weary of going to draw water. Maybe the Lord just wants to speak very personally to you. I am He. And He wants you to worship Him in spirit much deeper than you ever imagined. And He wants you to worship Him in truth that you would know Him accurately and not navigate through no man's land, but that you would know him personally, intimately, and powerfully. If that's you today, I would ask that you would just, in your heart, just pray and say, Lord, come into my life and give me that. And maybe that'll mean like this woman to have to deal with the sin, whether it's the sin that you've committed or whether it's the suffering you've suffered through other people's sin or whether it's both. But that you would be able to honestly say, Lord, I've blown it. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm lost. Find me. And my prayer for you is that you would be transformed, that all your organs would dissolve and be re-put together in a mind that knows, appreciates, and loves God. And Father, we ask that you would do beyond and above all we can think or ask. In Jesus' name, amen.